thank you, Jesus, for waking us up. We magnify, we glorify your name this morning, God. There are so many beautiful people around you this morning. Look at a couple and say, how'd your week go? Give them a hug as we continue to move forward. I join Brian in welcoming all of you. Put your hands together for an awesome Sunday. Here we are having a great time already. Great to see all of you. If you're new, we want to get connected with you. There is a blue card that is in front of you. It looks like this. Why don't you take just a moment and fill that out, and then we'll take it from there. We'll pray for you. We want to connect with you. We do what's called growth track. It's how you get aware of vision and how to get assimilated into the real heart of the church. Love for you to be a part of that. You can read more about it. We've produced for you an incredible magazine. It gives you information on every community group. We have some of the greatest leaders, the greatest electives from Sunday, Wednesday night, living free on Monday night. We're helping every demographic, every age, and this tells you all about it. I wanna thank all of our teaching team, all of those who are disciple makers in our church, they are listed in here. Put your hands together for all of these people who make the community life of the church happen. We have to take this group here and continue to break it down into smaller groups for greater spiritual growth. So be aware of these things, check them out. We have had one of the most awesome weeks. It culminated on Friday night with the night to shine. It was just over the top. If you helped leading up to the night to shine, maybe it was weeks ago with one area of responsibility. Some of you worked pre the night. You weren't even able to be there on the, the actual Friday night event, but you helped in a certain area. And those of you who were there on Friday night, we had over 400 volunteers. Everybody that served in one capacity or another, would you stand up, please? Come on, this is amazing. Put your hands together, everybody. God bless you. Every one of us that were there, we can tell you that it was way more of a blessing to us than we could have ever been to someone else. It just left us with so much to reflect upon. It marked our lives. And we can't wait to do Night to Shine in 2017. We're gonna do it again. And we want all the rest of you to get involved. We are receiving so many texts, so many Facebook posts of what it meant to people. Uh, received a card from a family even this morning. Pastor Chris, make your way to the platform. As he comes, this entire initiative was led by Pastor Joel and Ashley Thompson. Stand up, 
and let's celebrate your awesome leadership. Come on, everybody. They led the charge. It was amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Phenomenal. I want to, Pastor Chris, this, this card was brought in by family even today. And this, just one example of what's happening. It says, thank you so much to the Tim Tebow Foundation, to all of the Assembly of Broken Arrow staff, volunteers, and to all the students of the schools who took their precious time just to help our kids. May God bless you all. It was a special night for them that they will always remember because of all of you. A special thank you to our pastor and his wife for putting all this together. I don't want to forget Megan at Men's Warehouse. She has a special gift of God's love and patience when Fry Hernandez, my son, went in for a tuxedo fitting. Thank you, Joel. You're terrific. You all put a huge smile on our special kids. God bless you all, the Hernandez family. We're receiving so many of those. So I just want to say to all of you, thank you. Thank you for your heart, your energy, your time. Thank you for giving. You have expressed love in a way that made a night so special. Person after person who are our special guests, they said, this was the funnest night. One person said it was pure joy. Put a smile on people's faces. Our guests were from teenagers, young teenagers, up to senior adults. You made it special. You got outside of yourself and just love people. Thank you for being the church. And we're excited already. We're just, what, five weeks away. We get to serve our community through the Easter Carnival. About 5,000 people will come onto this campus. We want all of you to get involved. Let's just keep finding ways to let this community know that Jesus loves them. Praise God. As the ushers come, let's just give God thanks. Lord, you created us and you created this kingdom of love. The engine of your kingdom is grace. And this engine is working so well. It's unstoppable. It reaches everyone. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and letting other people know you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for partner, helping us partner with this incredible initiative. Thank you for Tim Tebow and his vision. Thank you for allowing us to connect with over 300 incredible people. Thank you for allowing us to make them feel special. I know, God, that you smiled on this effort. And I just pray that we would continue to see great results. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to give in every way to make this night happen. In Jesus' name. Before we give, I want to tell you this. This one man who had family at the event, he was, he was kind of standoffish, a little skeptical. By the end of the night, here's what he said. I have a great appreciation now for Tim Tebow, and I have a totally different perspective now of the church. So say thanks to all of your people. Wow. So you just have no idea the far-reaching impact. 
Let's worship Him as we give today. And may you be blessed as you do. collage that kind of goes back to the beginning and gives you a highlight of the night and you just have to see it so enjoy the video one of the verses that's really stood out to me comes from Luke chapter 14 but when you give a banquet or a reception invite the poor the disabled the lame and the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous we had a uh, over 90 girls come in to be fitted for a dress we had personal assistants and seamstresses and but the first girl that came in they said that she put on her one of her dresses and uh, she would not take it off. They said that she stood on that stage and looked at herself in the mirror for nearly two hours. And she was saying things like, I'm beautiful, I feel so pretty. And they said that she would just twirl around and, and look at herself in her dress. And so if, if you haven't caught on to what this night is all about, it's just gonna be amazing. provision, not just through this event, but really from the course of since the beginning of this year. I am just overwhelmed at the Lord's faithfulness and how He provides. So unwaveringly His faith is, so constant His grace is. I just want to ask you, would you stand with us? We're going to continue in worship. We're going to sing a song that's really become one of my favorites. Uh, but before we do, we're going to put a verse on the screen. I just wanna invite you all to say this together with me. It's from Lamentations 3. We're gonna say this together. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, 
The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Amen. Put your hands together this morning.
today. I cast my mind. That I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his my Savior.
us to get ready and sing that chorus again. You know, we come in and we do our best, but I have found in life, you can always reach a little deeper and you can always give a little more. Some of you may feel like life is taking from you everything you can give. I want to encourage you, if you'll just give God praise today, it has the power to change your perspective. Maybe you're just living in this blessing season. I pray, hands lifted, voices lifted all across this place. Let's give God the praise He deserves. Amen? Let's give Him our highest. Let's give Him our best. He's worthy. He's worthy with hands lifted. Come on, everybody. Sing it with all of your heart. Oh, strong amen. amen there is nothing that God can't do today is a day of hope it's a day of gaining strength it's a day of learning after the first service this man in his late 70s came to me he said that's the strongest sermon I've ever heard you preach we're going to go into the last sermon on the life of Daniel in this series 10 times better and it's the one that can set the course for the kind of future and the influence and perspective that God wants all of us to have. So while we remain standing, let's just say to the Lord in prayer that our hearts are open now and so ready to receive His Word so that we can live by it. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your presence and now the combinational power of Your presence and Word so that we can be changed, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can have a future that is filled with the kind of hope and promise that you have created us to know. Thank you for everyone in this room. No one is here by accident. Let them listen carefully with an open heart. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Turn and high five somebody before you're seated. Tell them we're about to have a great time. Amen. The message has been building in my heart for months. I was in this checkout line at a store not too long ago, and there was a teenager. He looked to be 13, 14 years old, and he was there with his mom, and there was something that, that he wanted, and he said, Mom, I want to buy this, and uh, she said no. 
And he said, no, that, I, I want to buy this. And she said, no. Well, he put it in the cart. And when she got up to the checkout line, she looked at him and she goes, I said no. And he goes, well, that's just not fair. Have any of you ever said that in any context? Have you said it this week? And his mom looked at him and this is what she said. Well, it is time for you to learn that life is just not fair. It seems, no matter what our age, he's 13, I'm standing in the line at 50, and I have the same filter that he had. And that is, I define things by a fairness filter. A fairness filter means I define what is fair, and then when God doesn't respond accordingly and His actions are different than my expectations. Then, like the young man, I want to say to the Lord, hey, this is not fair. When I watch things that are bad happen to people that I don't think deserve it. And when I watch good things happen to people that I don't think deserve it. And I have this fairness filter, I want to say to the Lord, hey, this is not fair. The day after the F5 tornado in Joplin when several of us were there going from house to house just trying to serve and when I say house to house it was really just foundation to foundation because the houses were gone. Nothing left. One neighborhood over everything was fine. And when we walked those streets there would be people saying man God is so good. Well, what happened to his goodness when it got to that part of town where everything was destroyed? People in that section are saying, this isn't fair. We pastored in Memphis for almost 10 years and St. Jude Hospital is there. We would be there often visiting people and there was never a time when I... That I didn't walk out of that hospital with the tension in my heart going, this, watching these children battle such sickness, it just doesn't seem fair. So I want to ask you again, have you ever had a situation in life where you said, this is not fair? Are you dealing with that now? If you and I are going to be ten times better We're going to have to be very honest about the way we filter our human experience. Our example has been Daniel. And let me remind you that as a teenager around 17, 18 years old, he is taken from his home. He he loses everything that was normal. He's taken as a captive. He's kidnapped. He's held hostage. He's taken into Babylon. They move immediately to change his name, put him in this university where he's going to be taught their language, their literature, so that he can be of some use to the Babylonian kingdom. So he can be of use in the king's service. And Daniel was normal, just like us, and it had to pass through his mind at some point. Hey, this is not fair. However, he had a way to manage that filter 
or to change that filter because he had every right to be broken and bitter, yet we see him succeeding and influencing. Chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He wants to know the interpretation. He doesn't trust anybody. He says to his closest advisors, I need the interpretation of the dream. They said, tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. He doesn't trust them. So he says, no, you have to tell me what I dreamed. Can you imagine? You have to tell me what I dreamed and give me its interpretation. They said, well, that's impossible. He says, that is the way it will happen or else. And let me show you the or else. This is chapter two. Look at these verses. The king was furious when he heard this and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. When he said all the wise men, that meant Daniel would be executed. Is that fair? So Daniel steps up and says, I I will give you your dream. I will tell you what you dreamed. I will tell you the interpretation of the dream. So supernaturally, he's used of God. He tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream and the interpretation. Amazing. When you get to chapter 3, you have Daniel's three closest friends that choose to honor and stand for God. And the king said, if you don't bow to the golden image that I have built, you're going in the furnace. Let me show you what the king does. This is chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Let's keep going. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace. Let's continue. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. Finally, let's go to verse 22. And because, the, and because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. These three young men, all they did was stand for God. Is this fair? Chapter 6, and finally, Daniel, he's conspired against by very jealous leaders because Daniel is now had such a distinction that a new king, King Darius, is going to make him second in command. And these evil leaders conspire against Daniel, get the king to sign a decree that you couldn't pray to anyone but King Darius for 30 days. That would violate Daniel's conviction that first and foremost, he lived to honor God, God Jehovah, the biblical God. He chose to honor that standard, and let me show you what happened. This is chapter 6. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. Do do you think he could have asked, hey God, is this fair? Now another thing to make sure we're aware of is that from chapter 1, he's like 18 years old. By the time we get to chapter 6, he's 85. So from 18 to 85, he has these unusual situations that he had to filter. And had he used a fairness filter, we would not have found him at age 85 being faithful to God 
and putting his life on the line to honor God. Somehow, he used a different filter. If I was to title this message, it would be this. Change your filter. How do I know if I'm using a fairness filter? Which causes me to define fairness. And then when my expectations differ with God's actions and I get frustrated, confused, maybe even bitter, what do I do? How do I know that I'm using that filter? Let me show you 1 Peter chapter 4. This is verse 12. This is what Peter writes. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. Now read this next phrase with me. As if something strange were happening to you. Read that last phrase with me again. As if something strange were happening to you. Lord's helping me to know that I'm using the fairness filter and I need to change my filter when I think that what I'm going through is somehow strange. Like unique to me. Like no one else is going through this. Also, I'm using a fairness filter when I don't see intense challenges in life this, this is where it gets hard, as normal. Wow. Remember the reason that nature at times is so violent so that we do see the results of an F5 tornado. Remember the reasons, the reason that there's sickness. And sickness can be very violent. Wow. And as a result, we have treatment centers all around the world to try and find cures and they do specialized treatment to help people. I was talking to a young man in our church that I respect so much that spent 40 straight days in the hospital. Young man. Where does sickness come from? Where do difficult challenges come from? Why does nature get so violent? Because in Genesis, at the fall of man, when man-centered fury violence, sickness, pain, catastrophe, disaster. It entered the world. And we could talk a little bit if you wanted about how unfair that seems. I mean, come on, this one guy got us into this? How fair is that? And see, what we're getting at when we're trying to define whether or not something is fair, we're really saying if this is not fair, then maybe God's not good. And if God's not good, then God can't be trusted. And if God can't be trusted, then why am I giving an allegiance to him? And why am I trying to express faith in him? If life is just one cruel joke and you, know, you came up with a bad hand and now it's gonna be played out on you, then why, why, why not just abandon this, this concept of faith? Why would we do this? See, this, this fairness filter makes me think too much about myself and too much about right now. When I'm thinking something's not fair and that it's like it's strange, it's unusual, it's because I've gotten so focused on me. 
The American culture doesn't help us when it comes to this. We're in a community, we're in a culture of comfort and thank God for this country, thank God for the blessing. But it can make us skeptical when we go through pain. It can make us confused when something happens because we think it's strange in the American dream which has replaced the kingdom theology and the biblical theology. At times, we think, you know, I thought God was good because I am filtering my human experience through a fairness filter. And life is not fair. We still okay? Because I'm not done yet. The good part's coming. It's like, well, on Valentine's Day, you really encouraged us. Thank you so much. Let's just all go to lunch now. Like, get the parking team out there. Because this isn't fair. So Peter helps me to say, wait a minute. I don't need to be surprised. And I don't need to think it's strange. And if you're going through something and you think it's strange, meaning it's not normal to the human experience, then you are probably needing to change your filter. Okay, so what do I, how do I filter the human experience? Still to this day, I'm telling you that I'm so challenged when it comes to this. I, it, it seems like it's just a default filter that I have to constantly change out of my own thinking. How do we do this? Let me, let me go there with you today. Here's how we set the right filter. The reference point for the human experience must be the cross. We just sang the gospel story. And people say we don't sing hymns anymore. We just sang a hymn. It was written recently, but we just sang every verse of what Jesus did and what he's going to do. And it's all because at the cross, which by the way, was not fair. The trial that Jesus went through was not fair. He was the righteous dying for the unrighteous. He was the innocent dying in the place of the guilty. The one who knew no sin became sin. If you ever want to know why the cross is amazing and grace is amazing and it's beyond description, it's because the one who knew no sin became sin. That You and I might become Became and become is the gospel. He became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And sickness and violence in nature and challenges of life, the battles of life cannot take away the righteousness of God. So my reference point, my reference point is the cross. If I want to know if God is good, I don't use a fairness filter on human experience. If I want to know if God is good, I look at the cross. And I settle it. God is so good. 
beyond what I could ever imagine. He's so good because he came into this fallen world. He came into this human experience and took on the form of man just as you and I. And he weathered the storms of life and the temptations of life all the way to the cross, bearing every sin. And in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, he was literally crushed under the the blow and the burden of taking on all sin and all sickness and all pain and all evil. And he died. But on Sunday morning, he rose. And Paul said, he has defeated death. He has defeated hell. He has defeated sin. He has made a show openly of every demon and the devil. And he has now ascended to a place of invincible victory. And he lives to make intercession for you and for me. He's with us. He's out in front. He's forgiven our past. He gives us a future. And one day, he's going to receive us unto himself in a place that he has prepared for you and for me. The reference point on the goodness of God is the cross. Filter the human experience through that of the cross. Secondly, through that of eternity, the big picture. When I'm using the fairness filter, it's about me and it's about now. I lose sight of the big picture. Here's what Paul said. This is now 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet, they are producing for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. One version says that this light and momentary affliction is not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that shall be revealed. So Paul is filtering his present struggle off of eternity. What struggle is Paul talking about? He tells us in this same letter. He says, first of all, he was talking about being shipwrecked and adrift at sea. Has anyone here ever been lost at sea? Me either. Thank you, Jesus. Can you imagine? He was. He was in prison. And he says in prison more than than all of you. I'm not going to ask if you've ever been in prison. He was in prison more. He says that he was beaten five times with, with whips or lashes. And what that means is they had this custom that they would take someone and beat them with whips and they'd give them 39 lashes. The, the tradition and thought was if you gave them 40, it would kill them. So they'd go right up to 39. You remember the body of Jesus in pictures or movies, how his flesh was torn because on the end of each piece of leather was bone that would just rip through the flesh of the person being beaten. Paul endured that five times. What does it take to get over one of those? Don't you think you're saying, hey, God, this is not fair. That doesn't count the times he was beaten with rods, 
One time he was stoned. I'm not talking about Colorado. I'm, I'm talking... I'm rocks, rocks. After all that, you would want to get stoned. Not... Need to edit that part out. Uh, so I'm talking about they picked up rocks. Like, think about people picking up rocks with the intent to kill you violently. Okay, that's what he's talking about when he says, our present troubles, they're small and won't last very long. How do you say that? Because he had a perspective of eternity. That's the only way. The only way that Daniel, and some of you have studied this through Larry Osborne's book, Thriving in Babylon. He, he puts a focus on Daniel's optimism. And he said the way that Daniel was able to stay optimistic, faith-filled, is because he knew that God was in control of who's in control. And he knew the end of the story. Which means for you and me, we go to the book of Revelation. And we see how this all ends. How many of you were for Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl? How many of you were for the Broncos in the Super Bowl? I make a distinction. Some people were for Peyton Manning, not necessarily the Broncos. So if you were, you know that when you're watching the game, right in, even late in the fourth quarter, one play, one play could have turned the entire game. The score was still so close. You've got Cam Newton and... His ability to throw the ball, his ability to run the ball. So you can never just relax. Yet now, we're a week after the game, your team won. Man, I've been there with that person right there. That person like, yeah, oh, oh, man. It's not fair, is it? It's not fair. It's not fair. So... Your team won. Now, if you DVR'd the game and you go home this afternoon and you watch the game, at halftime when you're thinking, this is too close, I don't know, third quarter, I don't know, I don't know, fourth quarter, you don't have to sense any of that anxiety. Why? Because you know how the game ends. If you take the book of Revelation, you can sum it up like this. We've read the last page of the book. And as the redeemed of the Lord, we are winners. We're on the winning side. We've heard it a lot lately. As a believer, you're going to win more than you could ever imagine. You talk about the winning side. As a believer, you are ensured that God is going to make everything right. Weeping endures for the night. But the night must give way to the breaking of the dawn. And this troubled, broken, twisted world will give away to an eternal home where there's no sickness, there's no sorrow, there's no dying. There are no more tears because God's going to make it right. So you've got to filter things through the cross. That's the reference point of the goodness of God. You've got to filter things through eternity. That's the reference point of how to gain perspective when it's so tough. Because here's the thing. In church, when you get a sermon like this, you can feel like 
that you're light and momentary flick, like something's wrong with you if you're struggling. I want to be very careful to teach you as your pastor that if you're going through a struggle, you need to embrace the pain and the sorrow that goes with it. Everything I've told you does not make a bad diagnosis easy, a bad situation in your life or your family easy. It doesn't remove the pain of trouble and difficulty. And so if you're going through a difficult time, embrace the pain and grieve. Grief is a gift from God so that we can process through the confusing, heartbreaking, indescribable, despairing situations of life. So embrace the pain and the sorrow that goes with it, but not the bitterness. How do I keep from becoming bitter? Because the cross is my reference point, And I see what I'm going through in light of the big picture. If we're going to be ten times better, then we can't be bitter. Because you can't go down better street and bitter street at the same time. And the enemy would love nothing more than to make you filter everything through your definition of fairness. Where you question the goodness of God. You lose faith in God. You even abandon the faith. And you grow old and shrivel in your spirit, broken and bitter. I reach to you today, if in any way that's where you are. Because you may have gone through something that none of us have ever experienced. And it was so hard for you to hear me even say that it's normal. I didn't say it was right. You didn't deserve it. There is one who's in control, who loves you, who will help you, who will be there with you, who will never leave you. I'll come to a close. This is Psalm 73. Look what the psalmist says. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. He's, just, he's in the presence of God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I'm going to tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Every verse, until you get to that verse, Asaph, who wrote that, is going, where are you, God? The wicked are prospering. How is this right? What are you doing? Have you forgotten us? Are you real? He is, he's laying out every, every attitude of confusion and pain. And then he comes to this transition. When he opens his heart to the presence of God, he then says, Sovereign Lord, watch how the, the presence of God will change your perspective. Sovereign, you're in control. I don't understand. You know what the man told me after the end of the first service? He was in his late 70s. 
He goes, I'm in my late 70s and I've got more questions than I've ever had in my life. He said, what you've said today is true. I'm 50, I've got more questions than I've ever had. I wish things were just black or white. I'm telling you, there is the color gray. Things you just can't figure out. And the enemy would love for me to filter that until I'm broken and bitter. But if I would just put myself in an intentional effort to worship, the presence of the Lord begins to be very personal and real until like the psalmist, nothing around me changes, but my perspective has changed. I've changed my filter. Sovereign Lord, you're in control. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. That's the presence. One version says, I've made the Lord my refuge. That means while the chaos and confusion are swirling around me, the violence of adversity, I'm just going to be very focused on the presence of God. And in the presence of God, I'm reminded of the cross. I'm reminded of eternity. I can grieve through the sorrow of the pain, even to the point where God heals me, gives me my joy again. If you want to be 10 times better, it's more than just little self-help stuff. I didn't go into this sermon to say, let's be 10 times better for the first few months. Like someone who joins a health club in the new year and they go for 30 days, they don't go again. I want us to be 10 times better for the years to come. If you're 18, I want you to be better than ever when you get into your 80s. If you're 30, I want you to be better when you get 40. If you're 50, I want you to be better when you get 70. Come on. How do you do it? You've got to make sure you have the right filter. That'll keep you loving people. It'll keep you believing in people. It'll keep you initiating because your dream can't happen unless you initiate. It'll keep you motivated. You can't live the life God wants for you if you're isolated and depressed. Perspective. Perspective. I feel the Holy Spirit just as we would be intentional in our praise that right now He would just wash He would wash our perspective. He would let us change the filter until you know that God is good. God has entered your life from the future. He's in control and he's going to set it right. You're on the winning side with your eyes closed. Holy Spirit, we just open before you now. Some people here are in the toughest time they've ever been in come Holy Spirit as a healer come as a comforter a helper with your eyes closed I want you to know this I want you to hear this in your heart the Bible says that the Lord is a present help in the time of need the psalmist who wrote that was looking at the angry waves of an ocean and it seemed that they got bigger and louder there was like a volume to the storm and when he says but Lord you're a present help in the time of need that word help is a word 
that describes the help of God growing in its intensity. That the presence and the power of God that comes right in the time you need it, it expands to be greater than the struggle. It has a volume that's louder than that which is bidding for your attention. And if you'll magnify the Lord, He'll wash your perspective and you will be strengthened by the help of Almighty God. The intentional action is to praise Him. Lord, help us to take that action today. Help us, Lord, to have our faith increased and strengthened again. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's where we put it into action. I want you to stand with me, everybody, and be so carefully focused. Team, we're going to sing this, but I want to go back to first verse from the very beginning. And we're going to sing the gospel story. And this song is making the cross our reference point. It's going to expand our perspective to eternity. And we're going to find ourselves worshiping in the one who's conquered sin, sickness, death, hell, and the grave. Amen? You ready? Let's sing it together. I cast my mind to Calvary when Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds his hands in my Savior on that cursing tree. His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance by heavy stone, Messiah still and all
Lord, today you have put our struggle into a context that allows us a clear perspective. That perspective is like a gift to us. Thank you for your victory that is our victory. Thank you for your strength to take the necessary steps to walk through the valleys of life. Thank you for our faith that is not in an outcome, but our faith that is in you. We worship you today. We glorify you today. Man, the presence of the Lord is strong in this place. And here's what I'm sensing. You may be like at the intersection of the most challenging time. And there's something that would love to draw you down bitter street. But you don't want to be bitter. You really want to be better. But you know this is tough. And you could use the support. You could use the prayers of others. I just want to invite you to come right now. You say, that's me. I need help right now. Need some people to come around me and help me with the situation I'm going through. Anybody? Say, that's me. That's me. I, I, I got to have some support. Just come. It might be a sickness. It might be a situation in your home. Something that you're going through. And you know, if you're going to live this one out, you're going to have to have some help. We're going to sing this chorus one more time. If that's you, I want you to come. We'll pray for you today. We're going to stand with you. We're going to walk this out with you. Amen. Oh, pray. today. We want to help you fight your battles. to try and 
process through it is so hard. Holy Spirit, you are a counselor. You are a comforter. You are a helper. Be that for each one in this place. gentleness, your goodness, your joy, your strength, just freshly infill everyone with those incredible blessings of who you are. Some, Lord, it's like a spirit of defeat is over them. Place it with a spirit of victory. Where we have lost focus on you, we adjust that. Where we have gotten confused and we've questioned you, we come back with faith in you. You understand our questions. You're not threatened by our questions. You love us. You reach for us today. We reestablish that our faith is in you. It's not in an outcome. It's not in results. It's in you. We make you the sovereign Lord, our shelter. We make you the sovereign Lord, our refuge present help in the time of need. Who you are is just increasing in the heart of everyone here. Who you are is increasing in the eyes of our heart. We're gaining a new perspective right now. Holy Spirit, just do that. Do that. It's a miracle that's happening. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. This situation, this sickness, this struggle, it will not have the last word. It will not have the last word. We make the cross our reference point. We see that victory was won. So our faith is in you today. And we know, we know that we will overcome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Susie, just lead us in this chorus.
this reminder. With your eyes closed, I just want you to know that the presence of the Lord you feel here today, it goes with you. Be very careful as you start your day to set aside time to worship. It will set your perspective. End your day very carefully, considering the goodness of the Lord through the reference point of the cross. We start and finish our day meditating on the goodness of God. It will keep our focus adjusted. It will keep our life strong. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. We're going to be ten times better because we're growing, we're maturing. We're going to live this out. Let's give the Lord a praise for what he's done today. Praise God. God bless you, everybody. You're dismissed.